actually one of the twelve disciples. I was with Jesus right from the beginning. I saw all of it. As his ministry began, it was so amazing. Yes, he was a great teacher. Uh, he was fantastic. He, the, uh, the scribes and the Pharisees, they could not stand a chance in a debate with Jesus. He would just blow them out of the water every single time. But he wasn't just a, a religious leader. You should have seen the miracles that he performed. It was amazing. He would heal people. Now, we had heard uh, stories of healers in the past, but he would heal things like you had never seen before. He'd cast out demons. He could walk on the water. He could calm the storms. It was incredible. You're not going to believe this. Well, maybe you will. He actually brought some people back from the dead. I'll tell you, if I hadn't seen it with my own eyes, I wouldn't have believed it. It was just incredible how this ministry was going. We actually had a really good thing happening in Galilee. Yeah, you know, the the Pharisees and Sadducees came up every once in a while and gave us a hard time. But in general, things were pretty good. We had some really good crowds. Uh, People were amazed. People were coming for the miracles. They were coming for the teachings. It was fantastic. But Jesus got it into his mind that he had to go down to Jerusalem. And once Jesus gets something in his mind, there's no turning him away. He is just, he set, set his sights on Jerusalem and that's what was going to happen. And we knew that that was going to be a problem. We knew that the closer we got to Jerusalem, the more danger we would have. And so we began our journey. We came from Galilee in the north. We went through Samaria. Don't even get me started on Samaria. I don't even want to talk about it. But we made through, made it through Samaria, got into Judea, and we got to Jerusalem. And I really feared that this was going to be really bad. But, you know, when we entered into Jerusalem, things actually looked pretty good. I thought maybe it wasn't going to be as bad as I thought. Uh, people had their palm branches out. They were throwing their coats in front of us. Uh, some of them were even calling upon Jesus to take over as king. Now that sounded great. I would have loved that, that for Jesus to sit on the throne in Jerusalem and not me, one of his best buddies, uh, being there with him. I, that's a, a pretty good gig. I, I'd be very happy with that. But things went downhill from there. As we spent time in Jerusalem, things went bad. I think it probably had a lot to do with that incident in the temple. Uh, Jesus had a little bit of a tantrum. He was throwing the, uh, the tables around and he was uh, throwing out the, the money changers and all that. And the, uh, the religious leaders, they did not take to that at all. They were not impressed. If they were having trouble with Jesus before, this was the last straw. They were not going to put up with this kind of thing. So we knew that things were getting rough. And then it came time for Passover. Now, I had celebrated Passover all my life. I was uh, born a Jew, and we always, with family, we would celebrate Passover. But to celebrate it uh, here in in Jerusalem was just so incredible, and uh, we were able to do this. But this celebration was supposed to be a celebration of what God had done in the, in the past, of, of uh, his rescue of the Hebrews out of slavery. And we always had seen it in that way. But Jesus seemed to kind of 
take those familiar things and to turn them around. He took elements uh, from that, very much like what you have on this table here uh, behind me. Uh, he would take some bread and he broke it. And he said, you know what? My body is going to be broken, just like this bread is crumbling. That's what's going to happen to me. And he, and he took that cup of, of wine and said, uh, just as that looks like blood, that's going to be like my blood being shed. And that's really not what I wanted to hear. I wanted to focus on, on God using Moses to rescue the people. And Jesus was insisting on talking about him dying. There was something else that was happening during that meal, too, that was kind of weird. I didn't understand it at the time. There was this strange conversation going on between Jesus and Judas. And, and Judas always kind of struck me as kind of a, a weird one. I wasn't, I never fully trusted him, but there was some kind of conversation going on. I couldn't make out exactly what was going on, but it struck me as strange, but it, it immediately went out of my mind until some other things happened, which I'll get to in a moment. Anyways, we, we finished our meal, and uh, we went out to uh, the Garden of Gethsemane, and Jesus took some time to pray, and he really prayed. I mean, he was just right into that prayer, and he, you could just tell that he was very anxious about what was going on. And after the prayer, we, we were talking, and, and uh, we were just there together, and all of a sudden, we saw this this crowd. You know what? I don't even want to call it a crowd. I want to call it a mob of people coming towards us. And it was kind of dark, but I could make out Judas. Judas was with them. Now that made sense as to why Judas wasn't with us there in the garden. He had been there with these other people. And I could recognize that they had swords and clubs. There was guards from the temple there and representatives from the high priest, and they were all coming towards us. And Judas is walking towards us, and he walks right up to Jesus, and he kisses him on the cheek. And I knew what was going on there. Because it was dark, because we were all Jewish guys in robes with beards, uh, the, uh, the representatives for the high priest, they didn't know which one was Jesus. So Judas identified Jesus with a kiss. With a kiss! Like, a kiss is meant to be affection. It's to, to show someone how much you care about them. And Judas betrayed Jesus with a kiss. I'll tell you, I wanted to punch him in the head. That's what I really want to do. I was so angry at Judas that he would do something like that. And so there we are. We're, we're, we're standing around and, and, and they're about to arrest Jesus. And I just didn't know what to do. A couple of us actually had swords on us. But what were we going to do? We were totally outnumbered. There's no way that we could use our swords to fight our way out of this. It was just, it was not going to happen. But maybe I could do something with my sword. Now, I could have taken out Judas, but I, and I was angry enough to do it. But what would be the point there? All that would happen there is that would save the high priest from having to give him the money. They would just save money by Judas being killed. They didn't care about Judas. And really, it was the, the high priest and these other religious leaders. They were the ones who really wanted Jesus dead. And they were the ones that I was really angry with. So, so what am I going to do? And then I, I eyed in that crowd. I saw the servant of the high priest. Of course, the high priest isn't there himself. He wouldn't want to get his fancy robes dirty or anything like that. So he sent his servant, who's his representative, to lead the crowd, to be there, to make sure that things happen. So what do I do? As I'm, I'm, uh, I'm holding the hilt of my sword, I'm thinking about what I'm going to do. I, I could get him in the stomach. Uh, that would be satisfying. Uh, I could 
cut his head off, that would be even more satisfying. But if I did that, that would be the end of my life. Those, those guards would just take me out and kill me right there. There wouldn't be any trial. They'd just take me out. So I thought, wait a minute, there's something else I could do. What if I just sliced off his ear? That would be humiliating to him, quite painful as well, and it would send a message to the high priest that even though they might have more power, they might have more guards, they might have more swords, that we weren't going to take this lying down, that we weren't happy with what's going on, and so I did it. I pulled out my sword, and with a slice, off came the ear. It was kind of like when Julius Caesar gave his famous speech, friends, Romans, countrymen, please lend me your ears. That's what it was like. Sorry, bad joke. It hasn't gotten better in 2,000 years. So that, uh, I, his ear comes off, and the, the, uh, the servant starts screaming. He's holding his ear, and he's screaming, and he's screaming. And, and I'm feeling pretty good about myself. I've finally taken a stand. And I look over to Jesus, and he's not happy about it. He's not, he's not giving me that pleasing look like, good for you for, for uh, uh, being my bodyguard. He looked disappointed in me. And he walked over to that servant. And he put his hand on the ear of the, of the man that I had cut. And the screaming slowly got less and less and less. And when Jesus removed his hand, there was his ear. Perfectly clean, perfectly healthy ear. Right where I had cut it off, he was completely healed. I couldn't believe this. And, and I thought about it afterwards. This actually was the last healing that Jesus did during his earthly ministry. And it was to this servant who did not deserve it. He was there to arrest Jesus. He was there to send Jesus to the cross. Why would Jesus do something like that? I was filled with anger. I wanted these people to suffer for what they were doing. I wanted revenge. But Jesus wanted compassion. He wanted forgiveness. And this is the thing that I really struggled with. Because I was brought up to forgive people who I thought deserved forgiveness. They, At the very least, they would have to show some remorse and come to me and apologize. And then I can choose to forgive them. But that's not what Jesus did here. The, the servant of the high priest uh, didn't beg Jesus for forgiveness. He didn't say sorry. He didn't apologize. In fact, he followed through and did arrest Jesus and took him to what would ultimately lead to the cross. But Jesus still forgave him. And by forgiving the servant of the high priest, he was forgiving the high priest as well without any sense of repentance, of remorse, or anything else. How could he do that? I couldn't understand how he could forgive someone without that. And then, as the events of the cross and the resurrection and all of the other things happened, I slowly began to remember the stories of Jesus, how he told us to love not just our neighbors, but to love our enemies as well, and not to wait until they've asked for forgiveness. I want to ask you, are there people in your life who have hurt you, maybe haven't tried to seek your death, but they have hurt you in some way. Are you waiting for them to deserve forgiveness? 
Are you waiting for them to come to you and to repent? Are you waiting for them to cry and to show some remorse that they are so sorry for what they have done? Are, are you willing to just forgive them before any of that happens? Maybe those people are dead and they can no longer come to you and ask for forgiveness. Uh, maybe they are not filled with remorse. Maybe they're happy that they hurt you. Are you able to forgive them? I'll tell you, from personal experience, it is very, very difficult. I never was able to do it easily. But Jesus, Jesus showed me a better way. And sometimes... The hard way is better than the easy way, especially if it is the Jesus way. Let us pray. God, we thank you for the events, uh, what happened in the garden. And even though it's hard for us to think about the arrest of Jesus and, and how those events took place, we see that Jesus showed radical forgiveness in that garden. We pray, Lord, that we would be inspired by that and that we would seek to reconcile even with those who don't seem to deserve it. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.